Hi, welcome back to Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. Uh, today's episode is going to be a little bit different uh, because A, it's the first studio album review that I've done, and B, it is the first episode on which I'm going to venture away from Led Zeppelin and the Grateful Dead. And I'm actually going to venture fairly far away from those two and review Taylor Swift's latest album, Folklore. As far as the format goes, I'm thinking I'll start with a little bit of background, both about the album and about how I got into Taylor. And then I will do a song by song breakdown of the album and then uh, offer some more generic observations about the album to close things out. And if that uh, formula seems to work well, then I'll probably stick with it on future album reviews. So Folklore is Taylor Swift's eighth studio album, and it was released a couple weeks ago on Friday, July 24th at midnight. It was uh, by far the most low-key album release campaign of her career so far. Uh, she announced it with a single Instagram post less than 24 hours in advance. And uh, I think that was actually a good move, uh, considering... Uh, you know, the state of the world and also the, uh, just the type of album that it is. I don't think it has any songs that would have been, uh, ready made lead singles that could come out weeks in advance and, uh, keep the hype going. I think with uh, a shift like this, it was a good move to just say, here, watch out at midnight, here it comes and force people to, uh, at least be more likely to, listen to the whole thing rather than uh, go into it with any preconceived notions based on what the lead single sounded like. And as is usually the case with Taylor, the album has sold very well so far. It uh, had the best first week of the year thus far in the States, selling uh, 846,000 uh, copies. Uh, the the new way of metricizing that were... Um, it's a combination of sales and streams. Somehow they calculate what the uh, the streaming equivalent to traditional sales would have been. Uh, and then 615,000 of those registered as uh, full album sales, which is already uh, first place uh, cumul cumulatively for the year ahead of BTS's Map of the Soul 7, which is at 574,000, but it came out in February. So, uh, as usual, uh, she's cleaning up numbers-wise already with this latest release. There are 16 songs on the album, which makes it one of her longer uh, efforts. Red also had 16, and last year's album of hers, Lover, had 18. And this is also her third consecutive album featuring a duet. So now I'll give you a bit of insight into how I got into Taylor in the first place, because at this point you may be wondering why a podcast called Rock Talk that typically deals with Led Zeppelin and the Grateful Dead is uh, covering Taylor Swift. So her debut album, uh, the self-titled or eponymous uh, debut, came out uh, in the fall of 2006, uh, while I was in grade six and I was not really a big fan of the, uh, the debut at the time. I mean, I didn't buy it. I think maybe I heard one of the songs somehow. Um, 
and uh, I sort of became aware of it because a few girls at my middle school were listening to it, but the ones who listened to it were, uh, you know, big into horses and that sort of thing, and I could tell that it sounded very country, which I've never been a huge fan of, and so I just kind of wrote it off as like, oh, that's horse girl music, and didn't give it a second thought which is to say nothing against girls who are into horses, by the way. I have many good friends, male and female, who are uh, very into horses. I'm just trying to give you an authentic uh, window into, what would that be, 11-year-old uh, me. So then Fearless came out two years later in the fall of 2008, at which point I was in the eighth grade. And uh, I heard Love Story on the radio and that and thought it was decent. I was starting to warm up to it a little bit. And then I heard You Belong With Me. And I thought, crap, I like that. Like, I really like that. Like, that might be my favorite song of the decade. Uh, so after that, I started to slowly uh, drift into uh, swift fandom. Um and then especially when the You Belong With Me music video came out, I uh, I was hooked. I think that's one of the best uh, music videos of all time, despite uh, Kanye West's uh, protest. Um, I just love the ending when they uh, hold up their little signs that both say, I love you, that they never ended up uh, holding up in the window. Uh, so cute. I also think that You Belong With Me has one of the best bridge sections of all time. I mean, if the hair on the back of your neck doesn't stand up on the modulation when she gets to the, well, I remember you were driving to my house in the middle of the night part, then uh, I think you better check your pulse. Anyhow, so then Speak Now, her third album came out in the uh, fall of 2010 when I was in 10th grade. And uh, at this point, I still didn't own any of her albums, by the way. I only really knew uh, the ones that got released as singles, because uh, I still listened to popular radio back then, uh, or the ones that uh, came out as music videos, because I would watch them when I should have been uh, working during whichever high school class was in a computer lab. And I really liked the singles from Speak Now, uh, especially mine and the... Uh, corresponding music video for it and then red came out two years later in the fall of 2012 when i was in grade 12 uh i really liked 22 a lot uh my friend shane and i used to uh, play that quite a bit in grade 12 uh the other two big singles uh we are never ever getting back together and i knew you were trouble didn't like quite as much uh, i'm not a huge uh, mainstream pop guy but Red actually ended up being the first album of hers that I listened to in its entirety, although not uh, super intently at first. A work colleague of mine uh, the following summer in uh, 2013 there uh, played it quite a bit, so I uh, heard it a lot that way. And then later that summer in August of 2013, when I was uh, on vacation in uh Virginia Beach with the family and uh, some very good family friends of ours that we travel with a lot. Uh, when we were at the mall one day, I went into the uh, FYE, For Your Entertainment Store, and bought her uh, catalog up to that point. Uh, 
So I bought uh, the debut Fearless Speak Now in red and uh, listened to all of them front to back finally at that point in uh, August 2013, and I really liked them. And then 1989 came out uh, in the fall of 2014 when I was in my second year of undergrad, and I bought it on release day as I have with uh, each of the subsequent albums. And then the following year, in October 2015, I saw my first Taylor show. Uh, my sister and I saw the uh, second night in Toronto on the 1989 tour, and I really liked it and was uh, mad at myself for not going to the Red tour in 2013. But at that point, I wasn't quite uh, a big enough fan. It's too bad if it had been uh, two months later, I would have... And then in August of 2018, my best friend Jeremy and his brother Jason and I went to uh, both nights of the Reputation Tour in Toronto. And uh, I thought the the sense of spectacle had really been taken up a notch from the 1989 tour, but uh, I loved all three of her shows that I've been to and look forward to many more once the uh, virus gets under control. So we're just about ready to get into the song-by-song breakdown, but first I think I should uh, mention that uh, you should bear in mind that I have basically no contemporary points of reference uh, to place the album uh, within the context of the wider musical landscape at the moment, because Taylor is more or less the only current artist that I listen to. but I don't think that's a huge problem because pretty well every other review that you read uh, will be by somebody who is very well-versed in the current music scene. So uh, perhaps my kind of in a vacuum perspective, uh, wherein I'm only comparing it to uh, her other works and maybe some older stuff uh, is uh, valuable for its uniqueness anyway. Right, so without further ado, let's get into the song-by-song breakdown. Track one is The One, uh, which is one of three uh, sort of clever uh, instances like that on the album. Track seven is called Seven, and track eight is called August, which of course is the eighth month of the year. So I would say that The One is potentially her best album opener since uh, State of Grace, which opens Red. The three openers since then, uh, Welcome to New York for 1989, Ready for It for Reputation, and I Forgot That You Existed for Lover, were all uh, good openers as well and functioned uh, very well as tone setters, which is often the role of the opening song. Uh, And the one does that for folklore, certainly, but I think uh, it's also more than just a tone setter and is a pretty good song in its own right, which uh, separates it a bit from the the three that precede it. The lyrics find Taylor uh, addressing someone who uh, she's obviously broken up with and uh, saying that she's doing well and describes her typical day, how she... uh, catches the Sunday matinee and says that the best films of all time are never made and then uh, tells him that she uh, pictures him doing cool stuff and meeting some woman on the internet and taking her home and then uh, later says that the best loves of all time are over now 
And uh, the central message is that uh, it would have been fun if he could have been the one. But uh, interestingly, and in a bit of uh, change of tone from how she might have approached a song like this previously, there isn't really any uh, bitterness or vitriol or or even too much sadness or regret really there's kind of a relaxed contentment with how things have turned out and she's just kind of wistfully thinking like yeah it could have been cool if it turned out that way but it didn't and that's all right too uh and that kind of vibe is echoed in the the pulse of the song which uh has a nice sort of uh relaxed uh melancholy but still kind of happy-go-lucky uh vibe to it speaking of which uh, i think the title is also funny because the drums don't play the one the only instrument that falls on the one is the piano so uh, i think that's a uh, a neat little joke for the musician listeners at least uh by calling a song with uh, the one pretty well dropped, uh, the one. As far as uh, the best moment of the one, I would have to go with the verse, I had a dream you're doing cool sh- yeah, this is a family show stuff. Having adventures on your own, you meet some woman on the internet and take her home. I pick that because it's uh, usually not the best move, in my opinion, to throw in too many contemporary uh, technological references because it tends to date the material once that uh, technology is no longer uh, widely in use. And of course, the half-life on technology is shorter now than ever. But uh, I think in this case, she pulls off a contemporary tech reference quite smoothly. Track two is a song called Cardigan, And this one would be the closest to a lead single as the music video for it was released at midnight on July 24th, the same time that the full album uh, became available. And it's the first of a trilogy on the album that deal with a high school love triangle. And there's a song from the perspective of each of the parties involved. And Cardigan is from Betty's perspective, who is... uh, the uh, the guy's initial uh, girlfriend who he uh, cheats on uh, the main squeeze as they may have said uh, a few decades ago. Uh, this song also has a cool pulse to it. Uh, I especially like the rhythm of the verses, lyrically speaking. Uh, it has a nice tie-in to the one with uh, a line that "Chase two girls, lose the one." It also has a Peter Pan reference with the line, tried to change the ending, Peter losing Wendy, which uh, fits with the, uh, you know, the general folklore theme of the album. I really like the chorus on this one, which goes, and when I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed, you put me on and said I was your favorite. I think that's a, a really neat analogy. I think uh, the best moment of this one, in my opinion, is when Taylor flips the script and uh, sort of flips the lyrics on their head. What I mean by that is earlier in the song, there's a refrain that when you are young, they assume you know nothing. And then uh, 
later in the song after she's talked about how the guy has, uh, you know, gone astray uh, for a period of time at least. She uh, starts to talk about how she knew she would miss him and then says, because I knew everything when I was young. And then eventually gets to, I knew you'd come back to me. And uh, yeah, I like that part at the end where she sort of flips the uh, all of the analogies and everything on their head. Track three, we have a song called The Last Great American Dynasty. Uh, this one is interesting. It tells the story of Rebecca Harkness, who was an heiress who uh, married into the Standard Oil family and who was the previous owner of Taylor's house in uh, Rhode Island. And I think uh, this was a clever way to weave in some nonfiction American folklore with the more uh, fantasy-related uh, folklore like P the Peter Pan reference uh, or that of her own imagination on some other songs or the uh, the slightly more autobiographical folklore that we'll get to in a bit as well. She describes how after Rebecca's husband, who was the the one who was born into the Standard Oil uh, family, uh, passed away of a heart attack in the 50s, how she uh, sort of drew the ire of the uh, upper class society or snobiety, you might say, by her uh, zest for life and uh, behavior that wasn't always in keeping with uh, the way that the, uh, the patriarchy expected uh, women to conduct themselves. And then uh, the house called Holiday House uh, in Rhode Island that Harkness owned and now Taylor owns uh, was empty for a while between the two of them because Rebecca died in the 80s. And uh, Taylor mentions that in a line that I think is the uh, best moment of the song, which goes, Holiday House sat quietly on that beach, free of women with madness, their men and bad habits, and then it was bought by me, which uh, I think was a clever line, and it's uh, an interesting character for her to identify with as far as a woman who doesn't uh, play nice, as it were, with the patriarchy. Track four is Exile, which is the duet that I mentioned earlier, and I would have to say this is my least favorite song of the album, but part of that may be my... Uh, personal, I don't want to call it a vendetta, but uh, distaste for uh, duets. I'm not really sure why I hardly ever like them, but yeah, I've just never been a big fan of uh, duets. I mean, this one seems like it's probably pretty good as far as duets go. They're just uh, not really my cup of tea. I'm not sure if it's because uh, I've, you know, like I'm if I wanted to listen to that person, I would go listen to their stuff. Uh, like, I'm here for Taylor. Or, uh, yeah, I don't really know what it is. Anyhow, the duet is with uh, Bon Iver, and uh, their lead singer, Justin Vernon, starts the song off with uh, a real low, husky uh, part. And then uh, Taylor has a verse after that. And then a bit later, they're... Uh, their parts kind of overlap, and I do like it a bit more once that starts to happen uh, later in the song, and I like Taylor's uh, 
verse is a bit better than his, uh, which I guess isn't surprising. I think the best moment is at the end of Taylor's uh, first verse when she says, I think I've seen this film before, so I'm leaving out the side door. Essentially, it's uh, telling the story of uh, miscommunication and uh, misinterpreted or unnoticed uh, signs that things aren't going well, uh, leading to the eventual uh, demise of a relationship. And uh, I think it does a pretty good job of uh, telling that story. Track five is My Tears Ricochet. And uh, this one is kind of a uh, a more believable, actually scary version of Look What You Made Me Do. It uh, finds Taylor writing from uh, from uh, the great beyond, from the grave. Uh, and it's kind of fun to picture her like one of the witches in Macbeth, you know, uh, when shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning, or in rain, or uh, double, double toil and trouble, fire, burn, and cauldron bubble. And I think the, uh, the My Tears Ricochet uh, analogy or imagery is... Uh, a cool choice sort of implying that she uh you know was crying about how things were going poorly uh while she was still alive but now he's the one crying because she's uh haunting him from the great beyond and i think my pick for a uh, best moment on this one would be i still call to you when i'm screaming at the sky which uh so yeah again cool imagery Track six is a song called Mirror Ball, and uh, I really like this one. I think it's a, a neat uh, way of conceptualizing herself, where she uh, envisions herself being a mirror ball at some sort of, uh, you know, dance or whatever. And uh, I like how it can sort of double as being about Joe and being about uh, her fans and sort of the general public. The mix is interesting on this one. The drums sound incredibly small, which uh, it was obviously deliberate. I'm not sure uh, how I feel about it. Um, it does leave a lot of space for her voice to be uh, center stage, though. And uh, maybe, and I'm just thinking of this on the fly, it's supposed to uh, sound muffled as if you're, as if you've stepped out of the... Uh, the room where the dance floor is and you're sort of like getting away from the party. I don't know. That could be uh, totally off base. I think uh, the highlights of this one for me would be uh, verse two, which says, I want you to know I'm a mirror ball. I can change everything about me to fit in. You are not like the regulars, the masquerade revelers drunk as they watch my shattered edges glisten. I think that's a really nice verse. Uh, and then in the bridge, she has an interesting uh, admission where she says, I've never been a natural. All I do is try, 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 which could be um, acknowledging the the truth in some of the uh, criticism she's received uh, for uh, certain attempts of hers to embrace new genres and stuff as coming off a bit stilted and maybe she's saying like, well, yeah, of course it seems that way. That's just kind of who I am still deep down a tall, sometimes gangly, uh, 
person who has uh, been very good at willing herself to success. And I also like how the song begins and ends with, I'm a mirror ball and I'll show you every version of yourself tonight. Track seven is seven, as I mentioned earlier, and I think the album uh, really starts to pick up some momentum again at this point. Uh, this one features some of the coolest uh, lyrics on the album, which are complemented by some really nice vocal inflections and uh, cool cadences as well. The song is basically a recollection of a time and place and a person from her childhood who seems to be a long-lost uh, friend who she's uh, since lost touch with many moons ago, but uh, as she says, still has love for. I think the chorus is excellent on this song. It's uh, sweet tea in the summer, cross your heart, won't tell no other, and though I can't recall your face, I still got love for you. Your braids like a pattern, love you to the moon and to Saturn, passed down like folk songs, the love lasts so long. I think that's a, a really good chorus. And I think the song as a whole is an excellent uh, depiction of a, a feeling we can all relate to of the sort of the lost uh, innocence and wide-eyed wonder of childhood. And the nostalgia that you can feel not only for that time period in your life, but for the version of yourself that you were at that time, uh, which I think is expertly captured in a line that would be uh, maybe my pick for best moment of the song between that and the chorus, uh, when she says, please picture me in the weeds before I learned civility, I used to scream ferociously whenever I wanted to. And uh, again, I think we can all relate to that that feeling of lost innocence and uh, the loss of that reckless uh, childhood abandon uh, before you're tainted by uh, the awareness of people watching you and potentially judging you. Track number eight is August, the eighth month of the year, as I mentioned earlier, and this is the second in the trilogy about the high school love triangle and this one is from the perspective of the other woman. Uh, I think it's a much more mature take on a on that side of a love triangle than uh, Taylor may have written in her younger days, and uh, it really helps you see things from the perspective of the other woman and helps you to see her not just purely as a villainess, but as someone with hopes and dreams and feelings of her own who ends up uh, left at least equally, if not more, uh, scarred by the whole situation because the guy ends up uh, going back to the original girl. Uh, the lyrics seem to imply that uh, perhaps they lost their virginity to each other as uh, the first verse says, salt air and the rust on your door, I never needed anything more, whispers of are you sure, never have I ever before. So that of course would uh, add to the hurt a bit if uh, he was her first and then uh, left her to go back to uh, his original uh, girlfriend. And uh, the chorus, I think, really uh, accurately and acutely captures uh, the sort of uh, pain that would be felt on the part of the other woman in this scenario. But I can see us lost in the memory. August slipped away into a moment in time because it was never mine. 
and I can see us twisted in bed sheets, August sipped away like a bottle of wine, cause you were never mine. I think the best moment of this one for me would be the uh, second half of the bridge, to live for the hope of it all, canceled plans just in case you'd call and say meet me behind the mall, so much for summer love and saying us, cause you weren't mine to lose, you weren't mine to lose, no. Now we move to track nine, kicking off the second half of the album, uh, is a song called This Is Me Trying. Uh, this one has great lyrical imagery uh, on an album that's full of that. Like August, it uh, creates genuine sympathy for an oft-vilified character, this time a recovering alcoholic, and it uh, seems to be a person who had a lot of potential and a promising future when they were younger and then uh, got off track. Um, the first verse has them driving back, presumably towards their hometown, and uh, pausing at uh, a lookout to um, sort of take a deep breath and ponder uh, what they're about to do. And uh, it seems like they uh, are apprehensive about seeing certain people for the first time again and about how they'll be received, which uh, I think a lot of people can relate relate to in one way or another, uh, even if it's not because of, uh, alcoholism, uh, there's some great lines there in the first verse, like, I've been having a hard time adjusting, I had the shiniest wheels, now they're rusting, and the, uh, expansive atmospheric production on this one, uh, really helps you to, to put yourself in this person's shoes and picture yourself pulling your car off at a lookout to uh, take a deep breath and uh, prepare yourself for the uh, nerve-wracking return that awaits you. I think uh, verse 2 especially is really excellent, uh, so I'll read it to you in its entirety. They told me all of my cages were mental, so I got wasted like all my potential, and my words shoot to kill when I'm mad. I have a lot of regrets about that. I was so ahead of the curve that the curve became a sphere, fell behind all my classmates and I ended up here, pouring out my heart to a stranger, but I didn't pour the whiskey, and then into the chorus, I just wanted you to know that this is me trying. I think that's kind of neat, suggesting that maybe uh, after they pulled off at the lookout, they uh, sort of stopped in somewhere to grab a bite to eat or... Uh, a drink which would obviously be a, a risky thing for them to do uh, temptation-wise, and they end up pouring out their heart to a stranger, telling them their whole uh, story that's led them to that point, but uh, managing to restrain themselves from uh, pouring the whiskey. And then uh, the bridge is also really good. It would be between verse 2 and the bridge for what's the highlight of this one for me. Uh, the bridge goes... And it's hard to be at a party when I feel like an open wound. It's hard to be anywhere these days when all I want is you. You're a flashback in a film reel on the one screen in my town. So, yeah, some great lines in this one. Uh, sorry to single out three quarters of the song as the highlight, but uh, a really clever and nuanced uh, take on someone who's made a lot of mistakes Um preparing themselves for a prodigal son sort of return and being apprehensive about how they'll uh, be received, which uh, is um, 
a theme that gets echoed uh, in a different context a bit later in the album, which we'll get to in a few songs. Track 10 is Illicit Affairs, and when Taylor put up the uh, post to announce that the album was coming the day before, it had the track listing on it, and when I saw one called Illicit Affairs, I kind of assumed that it would be an, a, a sort of seductive endorsement of them, uh, kind of like dress from reputation with uh, her in that sort of uh, vocal mode and uh, with that kind of slant on it. But uh, that's not the case. It's more a, uh, a cautionary tale of how they seem enticing at the start, but then slowly lose their thrill and become uh, more depressing than anything. I like the way this one starts off very soft and delicate and then slowly grows louder and louder as it goes along, which seems to mirror someone uh, getting fed up with the secrecy and uh, blowing their cover. I'm not sure if this was intentional, but uh, that's kind of uh, the vibe I got from it. The uh, best moment of this one for me would be the line leave the perfume on the shelf that you picked out just for him so you leave no trace behind like you don't even exist. I think that line, similar to August, uh, really captures the sadness that can be associated with uh, playing the role of the other woman in one of these uh, scenarios, or the other man for that matter, uh, if you substitute cologne for perfume there. Okay, next up, track 11 is Invisible String, which is one of my two favorites on the album. I really like this one. It starts off describing the seemingly parallel or disparate uh, paths that Taylor and presumably Joe were on before they met, and then slowly starts to uh, weave in this notion that they've been uh, tied together all along by some invisible string. Now, I noticed right away that one of the guitars sounds a lot like a Japanese koto, which uh, is an instrument that I discovered uh, during my first year at McMaster, actually, when I took a uh, history of music uh, course, and one of the tracks on uh, one of our CDs was a piece called Cherry Blossom featuring uh, Koto, which I quite liked. So my ear always uh, perks up when I spot one or something that sounds like one in other songs. So hearing it in Invisible String prompted me to do a little research as a history major such as myself is prone to do. And I discovered that this notion of an invisible string tying you to your soulmate is actually an East Asian concept called the Red Thread of Fate, which originates in Chinese mythology and uh, basically says that an invisible red cord is tied around the finger of those who are destined to meet because they're each other's true love. So it's basically the Eastern equivalent of our Western uh, notion of the soulmate and also suggests that the concept of a soulmate exists in the collective unconscious and wasn't invented by William Shakespeare, as some have suggested recently. Now, of course, I noticed the discrepancy in the fact that the instrument I thought the guitar on this track sounded like is a Japanese instrument, and this red thread of fate uh, theory is from Chinese mythology. So I did some further digging, 
and discovered that the guitar in question also sounds similar to a gaozian, which is a Chinese instrument that is considered the godfather of uh, other East Asian instruments, such as the koto. So problem solved. And also in my research, I encountered a uh, humorous bit of folklore uh, in this uh, section of Chinese mythology about the whole red thread of fate uh, notion where a uh, young boy is walking home one night and sees an old man uh, standing in the moonlight who turns out to be the Chinese god of marriage and the god of marriage tells him that he's uh, attached to the woman he's destined to uh, marry someday uh, with a red thread around their fingers and uh, shows the girl to him but uh, being a young boy uh, not being interested in having a wife he throws a rock at her and she runs away and then years later on his wedding night uh with an arranged marriage the uh his wife is uh waiting there with the veil over her face and when he lifts the veil he's uh pleased to find that she's very good looking but she has uh something on her one eyebrow and he asks her about it and she explains that when she was young a boy threw a rock at her face and left a mark in her eyebrow and that's why she uh covers it up so uh luckily the whole invisible string scenario in the song on the album here uh, turns out much better than that and no rocks are thrown the part of the song that i'll single out for the highlight i think is the bridge which goes a string that pulled me out of all the wrong arms right into that dive bar something wrapped all of my past mistakes in barbed wire Chains around my demons, wool to brave the seasons, one single thread of gold tied me to you. So uh, Taylor's changed the red to gold, but what I like about that part is the wool to brave the seasons part, because I think even having the uh, the notion of your soulmate existing out there somewhere uh, to cling to can function as wool to brave the seasons uh, and help you through some uh, discouraging parts of life, especially your love life. Track 12 is a song called Mad Woman, which uh, features Taylor's first F-bomb on record. Uh, This is another more convincing revenge song than on previous albums. Uh, I'd actually be nervous if I was uh, whoever inspired this one, whereas uh, a lot of the ones on previous albums uh, seemed kind of toothless by comparison. And uh, as far as who inspired this particular song, I read some theories that uh, seem to believe it's uh, Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun, who, uh, of course, she was uh, engaged in a very contentious dispute with over the rights to her back catalog, uh, all the stuff that was recorded while she was still on uh, Big Machine Records, which... uh, she's uh, quite deservedly upset over. There's one uh, particularly eviscerating line where she implies that uh, the man's wife does all of his dirty work for him, saying, women like hunting witches too, doing your dirtiest work for you. The best moment of this one for me is where, adding insult to injury, Taylor seems to not so subtly call out the subject of this song for cheating, saying the master of spin has a couple side flings good wives always know she should be mad should be scathing like me but no one likes a mad woman ouch 
Track 13 is Epiphany, which I would say is the uh, heaviest song on the album from a subject matter perspective. It uh, draws an interesting parallel between her grandfather Dean's experience in World War II and either her mother's cancer battle or the current coronavirus pandemic or both. Uh, And it sounds appropriately choral and ethereal for a song that's uh, from the other side or about war and death and all of that. Uh, I wonder if the only 20 minutes to sleep line is referring to the dying person only having 20 minutes left and that's when they choose to spend it dreaming of some epiphany. I think the uh, highlight for me is the line, something med school did not cover, someone's daughter, someone's mother, hold your hand through plastic now, which I think uh, hits close to home with the whole pandemic situation and how it's caused a lot of people to uh, have to leave this earth in a rather unceremonious and uh, dehumanizing way where they're uh, not allowed to take their final breaths uh, with the ones they love around them. Uh, And there's a line also in the song that kind of uh, alludes to that sort of thing where she says, watch you breathe in, watch you breathing out. I think it would have been very easy to write a song more directly about the current situation that would uh, risk being seen as kind of a tasteless uh, tug at people's heartstrings for uh, one's own financial gain, but I think she uh, covered it very tastefully in this case and in a way in which it uh, will age well and still be uh, relevant and not seem dated long after the the pandemic is only a memory. Track 14 necessarily lightens the mood a bit with Betty, which is, I think, my favorite on the album. It's the uh, third and final of the trilogy about the high school love triangle, this time from the boy uh, James's perspective. This one is very Dylan-esque in the best way possible, both sonically and lyrically. It features harmonica, which I'm pretty sure is the first instance of that on a Taylor song. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure when it uh, basically kicked off the song, I was quite excited. Uh, And then also the long, pretty unrepetitive chorus with the swell leading into it is uh, similar to a lot of Dylan choruses. the one that I thought of immediately was uh, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, which is actually my favorite uh, Bob Dylan song. So uh, lots of bonus points for this one on that front. And I also love the vibrato on the one guitar. Uh, also seems to be a, a fairly new thing for a Taylor song. So the narrator, James, starts off by... Uh, addressing Betty, saying that he doesn't want to make assumptions, but he thinks that she switched her homeroom because of him, and then recalls how he initially fell for her riding past her house on his skateboard, and it was like he couldn't breathe, and then acknowledges that she heard rumors from someone named Inez, who usually is not trustworthy, but he says in this case it was true, and then uh, wonders if he showed up at her party, would she have him and want him or tell him to go uh, 
F himself, which uh, is the second instance on the album of her uh, adding that to her lyrical vocabulary. Uh, and then says, would she trust me, him? Uh, if I told you it was just a summer thing, I'm only 17. I don't know anything, but I know I miss you. And then verse two shines a light on uh, the typical sort of miscommunication that can uh, cause problems in any relationship, but uh, I think maybe is especially common with uh, high school romance. It says, Betty, I know where it all went wrong. Your favorite song was playing from the far side of the gym. I was nowhere to be found. I hate the crowds, you know that. Plus, I saw you dance with him. So we learned that Betty also had some part to play in uh, at least the miscommunication that led to uh, his last weekend, as John Lennon would put it, uh, spending August with the other one. And then in the bridge, we have him uh, recalling how the other woman ended up uh, snagging him away, at least for a time, that he was walking home on broken cobblestones. So perhaps walking home from the dance uh, upset after seeing Betty dancing with the other guy and uh, says uh, she said James get in let's drive those days turned into nights slept next to her but I dreamt of you all summer long so uh, James seems to confirm what uh, the other woman whose name we never learned by the way I hate having to keep referring to her as that um, what she had suspected that uh, August wasn't hers to lose um, so perhaps she sort of sensed that he was only halfway there the whole time anyway. The highlight of this one is most certainly the ending stretch. Uh, if we start with the, the pre-chorus before the last chorus, this time it changes to the only thing I want to do is make it up to you. So I showed up at your party and then I love this part. She pauses and leaves the first time I listened to it. I was like, yeah, and what happened? She says, so I showed up at your party, and then there's a pause. Yeah, I showed up at your party, and another pause, and then the chorus starts. Yeah, I showed up at your party. Will you have me? Will you love me? Will you kiss me on the porch in front of all your stupid friends? If you kiss me, will it be just like I dreamed it? Will it patch your broken wings? I'm only 17. I don't know anything, but I know I miss you. And then the highlight within the highlight, immediately following the words miss you, it modulates with some power chords into a stop-start outro uh, so that the words go, you know, but you know I miss you, standing in your cardigan, kissing in my car again, stopped at a streetlight, you know I missed you, which uh, is a really nice ending to a great song and the highlight of the album in my opinion. I also think Betty is the song most reminiscent of the so-called Old Taylor uh, on this album. Not only for the country inflections, instrumentally speaking, but also uh, lyrically. Track 15, the penultimate song on the album, is Peace, which is built around a guitar tone that also seems to be uh, new to her catalog. It's a nice, thick, warm, uh, hollow body sort of sound. And uh, I think this might be her most honest song yet, um, letting us in on basically the fear that uh, no man would be willing to sign up for a life in the circus that is her life. 
this uh, one is presumably directed at Joe, and she goes through a long list of things that she's uh, willing to offer him, highlighted by the line, give you my wild, give you a child, give you the silence that only comes when two people understand each other, uh, which of course is a very sweet silence. Um, and I think that's by far her most direct mention of children and certainly the first in several albums. I know on her first album in uh, Mary's song, she says, uh, rock our children on that very front porch, but that one isn't even autobiographical. It's about uh, an elderly couple that lived near her. So yeah, I think this is by far her most direct mention of children, which is uh, interesting to hear that she's uh, thinking along those lines with Joe. But then the punchline of the song is, would it be enough if I could never give you peace, which she goes on to explain how she can't she has a further moment of honesty later in the song where she says that he paints dreamscapes on the wall while she talks uh, trash, we'll say, with her friends, and she feels like she's wasting his honor, which uh, is an interesting sort of uh, flipping of the script compared to earlier in her career where she was maybe uh, reluctant to relinquish the moral high ground to that extent. But there are exceptions to that, of course, a song like Back to December, for instance. Peace also features a sort of swelling, creaking sound at the end that reminds me of the wine bottle rattling on the table at the end of one of my favorite Beatles songs, Long, 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 off of the, the White Album, of course. And finally, track 16 is Hoax, which is built around an entrancing piano hook and is by far the least sunny or optimistic album closer of her career. Uh, I like it though, and I give her points for shaking it up at the very least. The uh, best moment or best line on this one, I think, is my only one, my kingdom come undone, my broken drum, you have beaten my heart. I have to admit, I'm not entirely sure how to take this one as far as what it might be about, but if you uh, are willing to put aside your detective instincts and in always trying to figure out the Easter eggs and who she's talking about, then uh, and just up, try to apply it to your own life or whatever the case may be, then I think you'll find it a very enjoyable album closer. I got a little worried thinking, oh, did she and Joe break up? Is that what this is about? Because you could certainly take it that way. But with all of the other songs on the album that seem to imply things going well between them. I'm guessing that's not it. Uh, and I think maybe that's why she posted something explaining that not every song on this is autobiographical and a lot of them are just, uh, you know, characters and stories that are figments of her imagination, which has been running wild during, uh, quarantine. And there's a line in here, don't want no other shade of blue, but you, no other sadness in the world would do, which is a feeling that I think we can all relate to from time to time. The mood and subject matter of this one are the sort of thing that would usually be found in maybe the second or third last song on previous albums, and then she would close it with something more optimistic. But in this case, she decided to leave us on a much more contemplative and melancholy note, 
And I think that was not a bad choice. It uh, kind of fits with the overall vibe and aesthetic of the album, which leads us to the third and final sort of overarching section of this episode where I'll give you some more general thoughts about the album as a whole. From a production perspective, the mix is much more intricate than it seems at first blush, but you do need good headphones to really get the most of it. When I listened late last night with my big studio quality headphones on and absolutely no distractions with the volume fairly high, I noticed a lot of details that I hadn't on previous listens. But uh, when I was listening to it in the car, for example, or with my earbuds on a walk, uh, some of that got lost to the white noise or whatever the case may be. I think that's kind of in keeping, though, with the more unassuming, less in-your-face approach of the album as a whole and the release campaign that went with it uh, compared to her previous works. In the past, she's always been fairly direct about A, what the message of the song and the album was, and B, about trying to capture your attention. This one is much more ambiguous as far as intent and meaning and also sort of content to sit there in the shadows and wait for you to discover it, if that makes sense. I think it's a very sonically and thematically consistent album, which can be a double-edged sword, especially for one that's 16 songs and 63 minutes long, uh, but I think in this case it's mostly a positive, and it captures a very particular sort of melancholy, rainy day, not sure what to feel mood, that's pretty new to her catalog, and she does it quite well for her first attempt with that. And I think this style really suits her natural limitations as a vocalist and lets her lyrical talent shine through better than the genres she was toying with on her three previous albums did. As far as comparing Folklore to her previous albums, I will get into that more next week because I'm actually going to do an episode ranking all eight of her albums but some preliminary thoughts I can let you in on. I think perhaps it doesn't have as many super high peaks as some of her previous albums, but I think it's one of the more enjoyable front-to-back listens in her catalog. There are very few songs on here that I'm tempted to skip, and there's lots of uh, space between them as far as not having a string with lots of ones you're tempted to skip in fairly quick succession unlike the back halves of Fearless and Red, for example. It also seems to me, at least, that for the first time since Speak Now, she made exactly the album she wanted to make without filtering her vision through a desire to fit into the mainstream more like Red in 1989, perhaps, or to make a particular point like the personal point she was making on Reputation or the political points she was making on Lover which isn't to say that any of those motivations were wrong or failed to yield artistically fruitful results. I just think this one feels the most uh, unadultered tailor that we've received since Speak Now. I also think Folklore is similar to Speak Now in its mystical quality, its uh, sprinkling of fairy dust throughout it, although this time it's remembering the past through that lens 
uh, and or dreaming up characters, whereas Speak Now was imbuing the autobiographical present with that mystical fairy tale sense of destiny and projecting it into the autobiographical future. I also meant to mention when I was talking about Cardigan, I read somewhere just the other day in a review of the album, someone described Cardigan as the chamomile tea of pop songs, and I thought that was a funny and accurate description. So seeing as we are now at the end of the episode, if it's not too hot in your neck of the woods, why don't you throw on a cardigan and make a pot of the tea of your choice, doesn't have to be chamomile, and give folklore a listen if you haven't already. And if you have already, then listen to it again because it deserves it. I hope you've enjoyed this little detour into the world of Taylor Swift, and I will see you next week to rank all eight of her studio albums. Class dismissed.